on the book of Chronicles, there are two parts of it, and we're going to read the second part of it. And we're going to read verse uh, chapter 33, verses 1 to 20. Chapter 33, verses 1 to 20 of Second Chronicles. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bound down to all the starry host and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord he built altars to all the starry hosts, he sacrificed his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced sorcery, divination and witchcraft, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He took the carved image he had made and put it in God's temple, of which God had said to David and to his son Solomon, In this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. I will not, I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your forefathers, if only... They will be careful to do everything I commanded them concerning all the laws, the decrees, and the ordinances given through Moses. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray, so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In his distress he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David west of the Gihon Spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel. 
He also made it much lighter, higher. He stationed military commanders in all the forfeited cities in Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. He then restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thanks offerings on it and told Judah to serve the God, to serve Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. The other events Manasseh, of Manasseh's reign, including his prayer, to his God and the words the seers spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the annals of the kings of Israel. His prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty, as well as all his sins and unfaithfulness and the sites where he built high places and set up Asherah poles and idols before him, before he humbled himself, all are written in the records of the seers. Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in his palace. And Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading. Last time I preached the word of God to you, we heard about the grace of God in the life of that very, very sinful and rebellious King Ahab. We heard about how God revealed himself to Ahab and offered him grace and another chance to worship God and to repent from worshiping the Baals. There was almost hope for Ahab as we saw signs of repentance. However, it was superficial and soon he slipped back into his own ways only to die as a sinful man. All because God is just in his holiness and in his justice. We read through the Bible. Sometimes we, we, we see things that we do. I don't know if you have that too. As a child, we had a photo box. And every so often, maybe once a year, we'd go through the photos. Some of them were faded and most of them were out of focus. But it, it, it meant a lot to us to have those pictures. And then every so often I can remember mum and dad would take a picture as soon as we saw it and more or less straight away put that in the back. Because there was someone in that picture that was some sort of a blemish on the family. The picture was not taken out of the box. But the, uh, it remained there. But we didn't talk about that person. When we read through the Bible and we get to a chapter like Second Chronicles chapter 33, it is almost as if we read through the photo box of the Lord. 
But the good thing about this is that the Lord does not hide from us those who have been a blemish on the life of Israel. God is very honest and it's a good thing that he is. Because as we read of the life of Manasseh, we read about a life changed by grace. I've titled the sermon, Saved Yet as Through Fire. I took the title from the New Testament reading of this morning, coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This chapter, the, the apostle refers to the work of those called by God as if they were constructing a building. Some build with good material, others with bad material. But each one's work will be put to the test sometime when the Lord comes again and it will be revealed and this work of some will not stand yet by God's eternal grace and gospel call, they will be saved yet as through fire, as through the flames. <clears throat> like someone who is trapped in a burning house, losing everything he has worked for, facing death himself, then only to be grabbed on the, by the scruff of his neck, by a firefighter and taken to safety, stripped of everything but alive. Manasseh of the Old Testament was such a man. He grew up in a godly home. Hezekiah, his father, was the best king and led the nation to revival. His son came, comes to the throne but become the worst king ever. Why would this young king, who most probably shared the throne of his father, with his father for ten years, in the last few years of Hezekiah, he was sick. And Manasseh was asked then to, to help. And he would see the life of his father why would such a man then rebel against God by turning away from the good ways? He probably saw how God would bless the obedience of Hezekiah. But he turned away to become known as the most evil king of Israel. He is actually described as more rebellious and worse than the kings who reigned in Israel before the Israelites got there. Periodically you hear of a very fine Christian home with wonderful Christian parents in which a son or a daughter rebels against everything. When one looks at young drifters across the land, one may conclude that they were neglected at home sometimes. They saw godless, materialistic parents who were fighting all the time. They come from broken homes, homes that was centered merely on self and selfishness. You can understand that these people might rebel against all and just walked out. But why is it that a son or a daughter who simply walk out of a lovely Christian home and then join a rebellious crowd against God? We don't understand that. 
Young people are influenced by other people around them. We know that all young people go through a period when they feel that their parents are stupid. Some turn away from the path shown to them by their parents and rebel against all good. Their life is eventually destroyed and they themselves become a picture of destruction. But God's mercy is unfathomable. We will never understand why God is so merciful to even include the worst of all sinners, the most of all rebels, into the gospel call. Let's look at the path of destruction of Manasseh. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. This man reigned much longer than any other person. Longer than David, longer than Solomon, longer than his father. Why? We can only say because God is merciful. Manasseh deliberately pulled down the altars his father had built for the worship of the living God and replaced them with the altars of the Baals. This man's mind was bewildered and dulled by an explicit desire to rebel against God. His life is a picture of the truth that after you gain the whole world, you will lose your soul. You either are a friend of God or an enemy of God. You become a friend of this world and you become an enemy of God. You are are either gathering with God or you are scattering what belongs to God. Manasseh made a systematic and a persistent attempt and to all too successfully to banish the worship of God out of the land. He reinstated their fertility cult of worshipping under every green tree, giving way to sexual immorality and depravity. Once this was introduced, one thing followed the other, and the next was more wicked than the previous. He introduced right into the temple of your Jerusalem, The worship of Jupiter, the worship of Mercury, the worship of Venus, the worship of all the stars. In other words, he established worship of the horoscope there. You could have your horoscope read in the temple that belongs to God in his days. This, of course, is not only a sin in God's sight, but it is also extremely extremely dangerous. God commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, And when you look up to the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under the heaven. You see, people argue this way, that when such and such a star crossed such and such another star's way, it would be a very important time for you. I, I, I can't work this yet, but that's what people think. You, know? you, you, read, you read a little paper like the, the, the Northern Times, and it's in there. It's amazing that in our day, intelligent people can place so much confidence in the constellation of stars. 
Remember, a friend of this world cannot be a friend of God. Look at Manasseh. Manasseh was very much interested in the horoscope. And he built altars to all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. As if it was not enough that it's in the inner court, he, he did in the outer court too. It didn't stop there. He defiled the temple of God by actually bringing the images into the temple, and most probably then into the most holy. There where God promised to be with his people and be their protection, he decided he'll put an idol. But he went further. We heard about a little dog this week. That's nothing compared to what Manasseh did. He took his own sons and he sacrificed them on the altar of the idols. Deuteronomy chapter 18, let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, or interprets omens, engages in witchcraft. I will set my face against that person who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute himself by following them. And I, the Lord says, will cut him off his people. Divination is an attempt to decipher the will of the gods through the use of ma magical techniques. Don't think, don't think that we are modern these days doing this. You're going to have someone read your palm. If you work very hard with your hands, your, your fortune will change every week because of the change that you'll see in your, in your hands. Or, or, or read a teacup. People believe in this. I, I, I sincerely hope you don't believe in this nonsense. And I hope that you are not involved in it. Because if you are, you are inviting the wrath of God in your life. Just don't be involved in it. In no way. The Israelites entered this land of the Philistines where they lived and some of them had the thing to let drops of oil fall, fall into a cup of water and then observe the patterns that appear. <clears throat> and watching the various shapes, they would predict the future or look at the smoke of a, of a cloud going up into, into, because of incense. They did this then, and we call ourselves modern. That's just going back to a nation that lives without God, and that, that happened right in the beginning. Manasseh knew that God promised good for those who obey him and destruction for those who disobey, and yet he pushed forward. 
Amid this widespread idolatry, there was no shortage of faithful prophets like Isaiah and Micah who lifted up their voice in disapproval and warning. But their faithfulness only aroused bitter hatred and a period of cruel persecution against all the friends of the old religion began. There is this references in the Bible that he filled the streets of Jerusalem with the blood of those who were faithful. There is a Jewish tradition, and we're not so sure that is true, that Isaiah the prophet was put to death under Manasseh. He was cut and sawn in two. The prophet Isaiah. Manasseh said, go ahead, get rid of these prophets. And we read about that. And God spoke to the people. But then they would not listen. Sin has consequences. Disobedience has a cost. Listen to verse 11. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. Did you see that so in the beginning of this verse? So means therefore, as a result. Sin has its consequences. Manasseh, once the royal king was chained and taken to Babylon with hooks in his nose, the day of punishment arrived. It was time to go. God's hourglass was full. Roles are reversed. As the king became a prisoner and a beggar, he was thrown into prison and he experienced distress in, and suffering. This is where we would like to put the photo then, as soon as we see it, and put it right in the back again and hide it. God says, just hang on, just hang on. There's an old song that says, it is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others, He can do for you. Manasseh remembered the days of his father Hezekiah. And like the prodigal son, he remembered the good old days. He remembered the result of confession of sins. And there in the darkness of his cell, with his hands and his feet in chains, barely able to speak as the hooks in his nose obstructed his speech. This killer of prophets, this Nero of Jerusalem, this blasphemer, this practicer of sorcery and divination, this father who had his own sons killed as a sacrifice to the idols 
turned to God. He was empty. He was eating from the pig troughs of this world. He was hungry and blind and sick and crippled. Is there hope? Is the grace in Jesus Christ enough for this broken sinner? If you were God, what would you do? If you were Manasseh, what would you do? How dare he ask for forgiveness? But then again, how dare he not ask for forgiveness? Before the Holy God, he pleaded for grace. Not just a quick, forgive me my sins, amen. No, the Bible says he humbled himself greatly before God. Who knows what exactly went on in that prison cell? We don't know, but we know that he did pray and wrestled with God. This God was the God of his fathers, the covenant God, the merciful God who forgives not after we try to improve ourselves, but the one who sent his son Jesus Christ into this world for one reason, to save sinners. That is, to those who realize they are lost and on their way to eternal hell. For those who plead before him for forgiveness. How did this come about? He had nothing to offer before God but a humble prayer. A simple yet powerful prayer of confession. His prayer was recorded in two important books of his time and it became an example of a sinner who begged for forgiveness. And God heard his prayer. And forgave him and restored him as a king in Israel. And he went back to the people and he said to them, Worship God. He was the one who set the example. He pulled out all the, alt uh, the altars of the idols out of the temple of God. And he made it his business to tell people, Worship God and Him only. They couldn't, they couldn't care less. God forgave him. And I ask, Is that fair? You might sit here this morning and say, is that fair that God would forgive a man like that? I mean, he doesn't deserve it. 
if, if, if God would forgive anyone, maybe me. Because I'm, I'm not that bad. Is grace ever fair? Grace is defined as there is nothing I can do so God will love me more. But there's nothing I can do for God to love me less. God is sovereign in his grace. He can forgive if he wants to. God is always gracious and thank him that he's never fair. Because he would have listened to you and me crying up to him and say, God, that's not fair that this man who actually took his sons and offered them to the idols, who killed the prophets, who he's just a rebellious man. No, God, I don't want to be his brother. I don't want to call him one of, one of your family. If you want to associate with, 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 with a sinner like that, well, then go for it. I'm not part of it. That's how we do. That's what we do as Christians. Manasseh is an example for true, of true repentance. He, the once godless king, went back to his people and made restitution. Confession is one aspect of repentance, but turning around and committing yourself to God is another aspect. Manasseh had the guts to go back and become a preacher of grace. If you ever doubted the grace of God, look at the example of God and his gracious love towards this one's murderer. If you ever thought that you are too sinful, if ever you thought that it's too late to turn to God, look at the cross of Jesus. That's God's answer to the life of rebellion. On that cross, Jesus Christ, Christ was nailed to take away the debts against our name. He nailed it to the cross. Maybe we are big sinners. Maybe we are not that big sinners. Maybe we've killed no one. I, I honestly hope that is the case. You probably don't practice divination and all those ugly things. But if you have not come to Christ Jesus and ask for forgiveness and be clothed with his righteousness, the outcome is the same. Because without God's forgiveness and grace in your life, you are still lost. Therefore, when you hear the word of God, even today, even now, at this moment, calling you to God, don't delay. Ask for forgiveness and be saved. Amen. Our Father, 
We are astounded by your grace. And we pray that you will help us to not rebel, but accept this offer of grace and salvation. Help us, Lord, to understand that we are not better than other people. But also help us to understand that we cannot be broken beyond the point that you will not take us for yourself. Hear the prayer of each one here this morning for your sake. Amen.